Yak Benji Profiloni Jesus Christus. Vecchi Vecchi Fanum. Ivan, what? No, we're going to get to the idols. So I, I remember this time and I was in a parking lot and, 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 and carrying a bag of groceries, I think. And I saw somebody fall. They just like, wham, they're flat out. And it, it, it shocked me. I didn't know what to do. You had a moment like that before. I saw somebody else come up and, and, and help the woman. Then it hit me. Oh, walk over and offer help. Pick up the stuff that fell something. In the news yesterday, two men, uh, video went around uh, in the church where the idols stored at the Amazon Synod were, went in, took the idols outside, and proceeded on video to show them jettisoning, throwing the idols into the Tiber River. People are cheering, and they're happy. That part's fine. But I'm seeing people put this hashtag up, Cristeros. And I wonder, is it really Cristeros yet? Or are we somewhere else? Let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Early church, St. Paul had many things to say about idolatry. The apostles wrote the, you know, the manual, the DDK, the teaching of the apostles on, on how to be Christian, and they, and they condemn idols. In the year 405, doctor of the church, St. John Chrysostom, the golden-tongued one, sent out gray-clad monks armed with clubs to go throughout the city of Palestine, all the cities of Palestine, and destroy idols. It's a bishop of the church, now a doctor of the church, sending out consecrated religious to destroy idols. September 13th, 2008, the Feast of uh, St. John Chrysostom, as a matter of fact, St. Well, he's not saying he's still alive. Pope Benedict appears in Paris. He's giving a talk in the, uh, you know, I, I'm always terrible with French. The Esplanade of La Invalades, I, I, Invalides, I guess, and somewhere in Paris. It's this big complex, and the, the, the Napoleon's buried there, of all things. So the Cardinal of Paris had invited Pope Benedict to speak there, the Prime Minister's there, and everything else. And, and he's saying Mass and during his homily. Pope Benedict remarks that uh, uh, he's there in the heart of Paris, this remarkable place, on this day when the Universal Church commemorates St. John Chrysostom, one of the great doctors of the church, who, by the witness of his life and his teaching, effectively has shown Christians the road to follow. Pope Benedict goes on with the niceties with the people there and fervent prayers and stuff, and Pope Benedict jumps right to St. Paul. 
And he says, in the first letter of Corinthians, we discover how much counsels, the counsels given by the apostle remain important today. First thing Benedict brings to the table, quote, shun the worship of idols, end quote. Pope Benedict. Of course, when Pope Benedict said it, when he would be emphatic, it was more like, shun the worship of idols. But yeah, I don't do a good, I need Dijak with me. He does a better Benedict impression than I do, but go, but Pope Benedict continues. He writes to a community of deeply marked by paganism and divided between adherence to the newness of the gospel and the observance of former practices inherited from its ancestors. Sound anything like an Amazon synod problem? Here's an apostle counseling us. Here's Pope Benedict giving us teaching, uh, extol- uh, moving through the teaching of the apostle. And he he, he says, uh, uh, for, for Paul's contemporaries, shunning idols meant uh, ceasing to honor the divinities of Olympus. You know, like Artemis, who would be depicted with bare breasts and fertility in the god of the moon. That was the Pacamama of the Greek pantheon. Not that the Amazonians were as nowhere near as advanced as the Greeks had become, but the demons that inspire idolatry, uh, they're the same, but the locals give them different names, right? Different languages. This is interesting, though, that... that Here's Pope Benedict bringing this up in Paris on on this day of St. John Chrysostom being, and he, he, he goes on and on. He says, apart from the people of Israel who had received the revelation of the one God, the ancient world was enthralled to worship of idols. Strongly present in Corinth, the errors of paganism had, been, had to be denounced, for they were constituted a powerful source of alienation and a diverted man from his true destiny. How is it that in a previous special report on the real Dr. Seuss of the Amazon Synod, I brought up the two architects of this thing, uh, or at least front men. Let's call them what they are. They're not the architects, they're the front men. News is brought up that the Ford Foundation and others, and I, I told you right for earlier, uh, things animating this movement to revert society to its pagan roots are coming from the Theosophical Society, which set up the United Nations, who's trying to create a Christianless globalist world. That's the goals that Alice Bailey told us about. And right before the Amazon Synod, the Pope is telling us we have a moral duty to follow the uh, the, the, the UN. And then right after it, we have the Synod with this pagan idolatry going on. Nonetheless, there is a lot in Pope Benedict. I'm skipping ahead from his talk. He's saying uh, the word idol comes from Greek. It means image, figure, representation, but also ghost, phantom, vain appearance. An idol is a delusion for it turns its worshiper away from reality and places him in the kingdom of mere appearances. What do you think the Senate has been giving us? mere appearances of things right it's consensus uh, engineering 
if you've ever run across that term, I'll get into it in a future post. Uh, it's a method used by large think tanks. It originated, it was more perfected, and it was had experts of its uh, practice come out of the Rand Institute. Um, it was used in the business world for a long time by boards that wanted to you know, engineer consensus on a direction through, and they had stuff called the Delphi method and other things. And it's been discussed that this is frequently used with these Agenda 21 United Nations driven Agenda 21 town hall meetings with cities that were making microzoning and ecological needs and stuff like that. It's no surprise then that we have a synod driven for ecological things using the methods that the UN had. Too many, too many rhymes going on here. As a matter of fact, today on Twitter, uh, uh, Diane Montagna reported that uh, Bishop Kreutler, one of our thing, thing two of our thing one, thing two, uh, Seuss mess of the synod, told people in a Vatican press conference today that the, the document of the synod has already been written, but he doesn't know by whom. Well, probably because he doesn't want to admit that it came out of one of the think tanks or the Rand Institute or the UN. Oh, wait, the UN. That's the Lucis Trust that funds them. Their first name was the Lucifer Trust. These, again, are the people who want to revert society to a pagan world, a Christianless world. But it's better just to say you don't know who wrote it even if you think that they might have written it, right? Because then at least it might have the trappings. Even though it was already engineered, the outcome was already known. Creating these small tensions where supposedly uh, the dialectic is used in the Delphi method and consensus engineering to make people believe that the fights and the battles of arriving at uh, reasonable conclusions has been done. In other words, you create the drama that gives people the impression that they've invested time in coming to an outcome, but the the ball you're hiding, the magic, the spell casting, the witchcraft of the Delphi method is it was already known from the beginning the conclusion that would be reached. The skill of the operator, the Delphi method comes in creating the sleight of hand to do one of two things. Either make everybody feel that they were heard and, and that the deliberation produced this result, or in the case where you're trying to overcome what would otherwise be reasonable objections, make those people fight in a way that they become unreasonable or perceived to be unreasonable. <clears throat> so what would you have done? It's easy to look at the, the, the activity of these two men. And I don't, I don't know. For all we know, we don't know who they are, and it's better that we don't know who they are because the Vatican's now saying that they want the police to investigate and try these guys for treason. The Vatican, of all places, you think would adhere to the law handed to us by the apostles, like St. Paul like that that Pope Benedict expounded upon. 
or that maybe is in our catechism or that maybe a doctor of the church such as St. John Chrysostom had given us regarding idols. Send out the consecrated to destroy them. These guys didn't even destroy it. They just tossed it in the river. But the Vatican says this was a trespass and a theft. Interesting. All the way around, Father John Harden, in his Catholic catechism, um, has a section I'm looking at here, and he gets into uh, magic and sins against the first commandment, and he talks about this is particularly true that evidence shows that the devil sometimes has a hand in magic. And he says it's particularly true in some mission lands where the native tribes find it hard to wean themselves from magical practices or lapse into them again after being evangelized. Well, what if we just never evangelized them, such as Bishop Kreutler and Father uh, uh, Pablo, Paulo Sus, who runs Simi, uh, two of the large German, uh, well, at any rate, it, they're the ones that were supposed to be evangelizing these people, and both of them said, oh, we would never do that. We would never baptize these people. And here we're seeing Father Hardin's catechism, a discussion of mission lands, the use of magic and idolatry, and other transgressions against the first commandment where the devil's involved. Skipping ahead to the next page in the next paragraph, Father Hardin describes that idolatry is giving human honors to a creature. As such, it would seem to be limited to non-Christian polytheists who worship the sun, moon, and elements of nature. What were we told about this thing that happened in the Vatican Gardens? and in St. Peter's Basilica, where they have these graven images, carved uh, uh, topless, exposed breast female that's pregnant. Uh, and we know from the Greek pantheon with Artemis that it's the same goddess. The Wiccan, Wikip- the, there's a Wiccan Wikipedia, Wiccan Wiki or whatever, and they, you know, Pacamama and Artemis are the same Earth, mo- Earth mother or goddess mother. It's the same demon. We brought up the, when the German connection that the Germans had the bare-breasted women running around. Think of the idol that was used at the synod in what they called the Nacht der Amazonen. This is a theme that's running from some group. I think it's the theosophists headed by Madame Blavatsky, the heirs of Russia, come to roost in Rome. I don't think that, uh, apart from maybe uh, Hugo Rahner's brother, I mean Karl Rahner's brother, Hugo Rahner, coming back uh, with all of his scholarly uh, research on the solar cults and their activity around the church and the things that they were hunting for, we need that sort of academic study again. I don't, I'm not certain, but you know, from enough of the research that I have done or been around the comparative religion stuff, it's pretty obvious that Artemis and Pacamama 
the earth goddess, mother nature feeling in the, in the, 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 the stuff that goes on with them is this, the same demon that's animating it. And that's what father Harden's telling us this magic that these tribal people in mission lands deal with when dealing with these are often. And he, father Harden's coming from a place of authority, having written this ca- uh, catechism on this subject. It, oftentimes the devil himself's behind them. Are, are we surprised? Look at the, Division, look at the things going on at the Synod. Why would this be brought in front of us in hiding behind the idea that these are people you shouldn't pick on? Seuss told us the indigenous people are the revolutionaries. In other words, they were using these indigenous people to get to their ends, just like the Synod is being used to get to this document that's already been written. It's a meaningless process. There's no meaningful deliberation going on. Not when doctor of the church, apostles, previous popes have told us all this stuff is wrong and should be shunned or destroyed or gotten rid of. The two young men, whose side are they on? On the face of it, the idols weren't destroyed. They were at least jettisoned from the place, from God's place. far as i can tell from the vatican reaction it's kind of funny because there was a press thing catholic sat on twitter had video of it up and the first guy that's responding to it said i just learned about it uh this is a deplorable act and we're looking more into it and we're learning more as we go along then they moved to the second guy to give a comment it was a jesuit and his response i thought was great this is straight out of corporate pr he just said this is a much a much this is too much is being made over this this was really a meaningless event in other words like move along people we need to get back to the program here we need to get to the agenda of the synod and make everybody believe that we're back to where we are then you get the the spadaro clan out you know they had time to generate their pr and you get austin ivory and the others talking about terrible and racist this is that these people destroyed this thing and they need to be brought to justice and stuff like that but when we talk about justice who is the author of justice and when we talk about truth and what these things are let's look at what father Hardin tells us more on idolatry he says the history of uh the early Christianity witnesses to the courage of the martyrs in refusing to worship idols, even externally, and the readiness to die rather than sin against the first commandment by adoring a creature in place of God. More practical idolatry, however, is almost synonymous with secularism which, like Israel, castigated by the prophets, substitutes idols of its own creation for the uncreated God and worships them instead of him. I'm not seeing a lot of room in church teaching here for uh, bringing in natives that are worshiping demons uh, and the graven images of those demons. Matter of fact, we'll get to the graven images parts again. I think God himself had something to say about that. It's proponents. These are people that think that idolatry, such as what we saw from this uh, 
unevangelized uh, tribal people that were invited in to do a ritual in the Vatican Gardens. Its proponent maintains it gives man freedom to be an end unto himself, the sole artisan and creator of his own history. It's interesting. They claim that such freedom cannot be reconciled with the affirmation of a Lord who is author and purpose of all things, or at least that this freedom makes such an affirmation altogether superfluous, while other factors have also been operative. Modern technical progress has nourished this idolatrous theory of self-sufficiency. So we can see that the beliefs between, say, the tribal people in that using this graven image of this earth goddess uh, gives them the uh, freedom to be, to have the things they need in life that, you know, we've heard it described a bunch of different ways from these little uh, theatrics that have been given during the synod that, you know, we have to do these things so that the river flows and so that we're in balance with nature and blah, 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 blah. They're doing that because they think that's where their sustenance comes from. This is why it's a violation of the first commandment. Jesus tells us, without me, you can do nothing. Praise be Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He sustains me. He sustains you. He sustains Pope Francis. He sustains those tribal people. And it's a a sin I almost said a bad word. It's a shame. It's a blank shame that these arrogant idolaters of themselves, these self-sufficient people who no longer see God's role as liberating these tribal people from the bonds and the chains of death imposed on them by original sin and apparently being driven further through these pagan magical rituals They should be freed from that by being told who the true God is and by from having those idols destroyed. There's nothing worth preserving there. Don't we claim that? I mean, well, maybe that's why, you know, they. I bet many people that are proponents of the Amazon Synod are the same who would tell us that, oh, we don't need to renew our baptismal promises every year or that would argue for a change in the baptismal promises. Isn't that what we are supposed to do every year at Easter is renew those baptismal oaths. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his empty promises. When I see those tribal people doing that stuff, they're under the spell of the empty promises of Satan, aren't they? Where else is this coming from? There is no earth goddess. There is no, it's a demon. And the demon can't do anything for them. They can be freed and they can earn eternal life and they can find freedom from death through God who became man, Jesus Christ. Why aren't they being told this? Why aren't they being baptized so that their souls can be configured to supernatural grace that they might attain salvation? Back to our idols I've now picked up uh, Father Hardin's Modern Catholic Dictionary, and and it's very short. I'm going to read it again. Under the entry for idolatry, literally, the worship of idols 
It is giving divine honors to a creature. In the Decalogue, here's where we get to the graven images. In the Decalogue, it is part of the first commandment of God in which Yahweh tells the people, quote, you shall have no gods except me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything in heaven or on earth or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Call to mind what you saw happening in the Vatican Gardens. I remember seeing these tribal people and some consecrated religious and some others in a circle. And among other things, they got down on their knees and then they proceeded to put their heads to the ground, bowing before these wooden statues. It was right there in plain sight, a transgression of the first commandment exactly against God's commandment. Was it not? I, I, I just don't see, you know, the polemics, the Spadaro spin cycle that's out there with guys like uh, Rich Rejo and Austin Ivory and these other guys who apparently hold double think in their minds. I can observe that directly with my eyes, but these guys would talk about, oh, it's just, you know, this was just a, an indigenous thing and, you know, we we need to preserve these things and preserve. No. Here are people that have done something that enslaves them, that not only offends God, that God told us, no, don't do this. God's not, it's not just because he offends him. It's because they're further enslaving themselves to the devil who wishes to murder them. What's so hard about this? And it was centered on these carved, graven images. The ones the two men came out and threw into the Tiber. Now, Father Hardin, go back to our definition of idolatry. Uh, the early Christians were martyred for refusing to worship idols, even externally, but practical idolatry. This is a, a little bit of a repeat of what we had from the catechism. Uh, I want to get to this part that such... Uh, Idolatry, this is the part I want to talk about. I've skipped the paragraph that was a repeat from the catechism. Here's a quote from the dictionary. Idolatry is always gravely sinful, period. Even under threat of death and without interiorly believing in an idol, a Christian may not give divine honors to a creature, thereby violating the duty of professing faith in God. Let me read that part again because I, I want you to catch something here. Father's made an important distinction. It has to do with there's some activities you can engage in that while externally may look inappropriate, if you're not, if you don't intend, you may give rise to scandal, but if you, you may not be guilty of what it may have looked like externally, but that's not the case with idolatry. Catch this quote again. I'm going to read it again. Even under threat of death, and without interiorly believing in the idol. A Christian may not give divine honors to a creature, thereby violating the duty of professing faith in God. Early martyrs, St. George was one of them. He was put under the pressure to offer incense to the pagan idols. He refused, and he was told, you don't have to believe, just do it, No, you know, that way nobody has to kill you. 
He refused because even the act of just putting the incense there, even though he didn't believe in the idol, would have been a grave sin against the first commandment. And he was martyred for that. He's a great saint now. So on one side of this, we have the teaching of all the church coming up. And, and, and you got right there, clearly, the first commandment. On the other side of this, here's the Vatican saying, this was a trespass and a theft. Uh, I don't know. It looked like the church was open and the public could come in. So the, the trespass, I don't get. Now, the theft part is interesting because uh, under Vatican law, maybe in the strictest legal sense, we could say that the wood uh, was property and ought not be taken. But in the what the wood had been transformed into, that is the idols, it's difficult to see how in the law of the church, I'm talking about civil code, I'm not talking about anything else. I'm just talking in what the church believes and teaches us previous popes, doctors of the church, the apostles, catechisms, etc. And the one quote that I gave did come from Vatican II of all places. Father Hardin has that in there. Even Vatican II, all of the church says that this is grave matter, that idols are wrong. I don't know if this was if this is still a stunt of the consensus engineering occurring at the Synod, but I do know this. It shouldn't be the case where the Vatican will do anything to these two men because it appears they acted in conscience against a grave sin occurring in their own sight. Now, I mentioned at the beginning that some people are calling them Cristeros. Cristeros were under an immediate threat of death. You might recall another news story that I want you to think, what would you do? And that was you last summer. In the, last, in the past year, we saw in Chicago, Father Paul Kalchik, who understood in his parish, the previous pastor uh, had a room full of uh, sex toys, and he had, apparently died of a heart attack while using them. In that parish was a rainbow flag that was there when Cardinal Bernardin consecrated, I hate to use that word given the other things around it, that church. The rainbow flag represented the lifestyle being engendered by the previous pastor and by others such as Bernardin around that parish. Father Paul Kalchik saw it as an idol. And Together with parishioners that saw it the same way, the parishioners burned the flag. Do you recall that? And it became a big deal. And Supich threatened that uh, Father Kalchik's not well and wanted him to go uh, for, uh, I guess, St. Luke's or, you know. The claim was he, he's obviously mentally unstable and needs psychiatric help. We all know those are euphemisms. We all know that it wouldn't be bringing him back to a, any sanity. And we know that 
if you believe in the first commandment and you believe what God said in giving us the first commandment, that that was something that should be destroyed. We all have little things like that in our lives. We all have little idols and stuff that we need to destroy, but it becomes a little bit different when it happens in front of you by other people. We get paralyzed like I was in that parking lot where it just wasn't shock. It wasn't anything. It was just like, oh my God, she fell and I was stuck. I wonder how many people in the church are stuck right now. But ask yourself, if you were in Rome, it's easy to say, oh, I would have gone in there and done the same thing with those idols, but would you? We're not under, we don't have rifles in our faces like the Cristeros did. We have a different threat to us. It's more like what Father Kalchik was dealing with. I'm going to be insulted and uh, threatened with other outcomes. I don't know what we call that yet. These two young men were a little bit more like Chrysostom's gray friars that went out with clubs to destroy idols. They were acting under the authority of a bishop. The problem for these two young men is that all of the bishops at the synod think this is okay. So they had to act with their conscience. I think it's a little bit harder because of the shock, like somebody suddenly falling in front of you. No matter how much training or, in my case, you know, community first aid, I was a train-the-trainer in these things. You still have those moments when the reality happens right in front of you and you got to wonder what, 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 what's going on. You have to take in what's going on. But when we look at it in the light of the apostles, apostolic tradition, Pope Benedict, past popes, St. John Chrysostom, the catechism, we know it's wrong, but what would you have done? What would you do? What are you going to do when this comes to near you? If you have an answer to that, uh, go on the podcast page and leave one in the comments or tell me in the, on Twitter or on Facebook what you would do in this case. I know, you know, I mean, we can cheer these guys on. They got, they got, they got this grave, these graven idols out of, and I think it, at least for that, it's worth it. But would you have done that? Would you endangered uh, possible criminal charges from the Vatican of all places. I mean, in the past, that's what's different. The persecution would come from the Roman uh, uh, emperor. The persecution would come from the governor. The persecution would come from being outnumbered by pagans. Who was a saint that went, you know, and chopped down the the, the druidic uh, tree that they worshipped? Just went out there with a hatchet and cut it down. He was outnumbered because the whole village was all, they all worshipped this tree and they were armed. Isn't that what these two boys did? No bishop told them, uh, go out with your club and destroy that idol. But they had to figure out. This is wrong, and it's, we have to do something to show our faith in God. Wouldn't it be better that our bishops were doing that? We'll talk more about Bishop Snyder. He's doing some of that. Thanks be to God, I met him last week. 
and I've also been reading his new book, which I'll, I'll give comments on. But you, what would you do? Let me know in the comments. Go out with the prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lady of Akita, pray for us. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. You've been listening to a special podcast of the Bellarmine Forum podcast. I'm your show host, John B. Manos, president of the Bellarmine Forum. This podcast is a production of the Bellarmine Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation, founded in 1965. On the heels of Vatican II is a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith without all the progressive, modernist, pagan, theosophical, or other error and confusion. Our producer sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the glory, judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellman Forum is a nonprofit public charity and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. This show was underwritten by an anonymous donor who asks you to pray your rosary daily. This show is also copyrighted Bellman Forum 2019 to the greater glory of God and the honor of his blessed mother.